We're going to be looking in John chapter 18, verse 36 tonight, a message I simply call the King of Kings and His Kingdom. Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, this is uh, lifted out of that interaction between Jesus and the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Uh, you'll remember how that Jesus had spent that time uh, in Caiaphas' hall and then was brought before Pilate, and there was some interaction that went on uh, between Pilate and the rulers of the Jews. And, and ultimately then, he would stand before him and, and face this question, or you the king of the Jews, and this was his answer, my kingdom is not of this world. In a way, this message was born out of my preparation time for uh, the message this morning as I thought about those rival kings and began to contemplate and think about and look at passages throughout the scripture about uh, Jesus and uh, as our king and, and how that he is indeed the king of kings. I I wanted to say so much more about his kingdom this morning than I was able to say. There is a time in a sermon where you just have to put a period and start another sermon. So that's kind of what you're getting tonight. Uh, the king of kings, okay? We want to talk about him, uh, the right king, bowing before the right. Let's talk about the king of kings and his kingdom. We're going to be looking then at the time when Jesus was asked that direct question, Are you the king of the Jews? And, of course, he answers what he says then about being the king of kings is worthy of our consideration. As Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, we understand that he had already been given the mockery of a trial at the high priest uh, court, trumped up charges, had given way to hateful crimes of blasphemy, and, and now the rulers of the Jews come to Pilate's judgment hall. Interestingly, the Bible tells us in John chapter 18 that uh, the, the Jews refused to set foot in Pilate's courtroom. Uh, to set foot in, a, in the Gentiles' place, of course, would have caused them to be ceremonially unclean. And they would not then have been able to observe the Passover. <laughs> now, it didn't bother them to lie about an innocent man. It didn't bother them to give him the mockery of a trial didn't bother him that they had call, uh, to hire one of his own disciples to lie about him and betray him. Didn't bother them then to violate their own laws. That was all okay. But my goodness, let's not defile ourselves by going into the home of a Gentile. I don't know of a place in the scripture that puts legalism on display any better than that. That's what legalism does to you. Get you all tied up over little things. And Jesus himself said it best. He said, you people strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You pay tithes, he says, of mint and cumin. That were things that just grew voluntarily. Uh, herbs that grew voluntarily in their yards and in their fields. I could see them out there, you know, counting up how many little plants of mint they had. Let me pay a tithe on that. You don't need to, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Nope, that, I got to take that one to the Lord. 
but they omitted the weightier matters of the law. You see, legalism is what enables us to feel really good about ourselves because we have adhered to whatever religious standards we have. Even though we might ignore some of the terrible things that's actually going on in our life. I've seen people who wouldn't miss church for anything. I mean, they were going to be there. They were going to check out all of those little things. You remember when you used to have that grading system? Brought my Bible? Yes. Brought my offering? Yes. How many chapters read? Ten? Fourteen? Did you do your Bible? I mean, check, 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 check. Oh, but my goodness, they had cut you like a razor. They didn't think anything about destroying people's reputation through gossip and slander. Oh, we could check off all of this. Uh, this is legalism on it on display. It shows us what it does to people when we adopt it as a standard for righteousness. Oh, it's sneaky. It's an insidious foe. We must watch it carefully and constantly. They go on then, John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. They've excavated the praetorium, by the way. You can stand there where Jesus stood. And it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Well, now that's a good answer, isn't it? Well, what did this man do? Well, of course he's guilty. We wouldn't have brought him here if he wasn't guilty. Well, somewhere along the line, even though they didn't answer anything, Pilate picked up on the fact that Jesus might be a rival king, and so he called for him, verse 33, and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Now, Jesus would answer that question with a question. He would say, Well, do you ask this for yourself, or, or did someone put you up to it. He, of course, knew the answer before he asked it, but he wanted to make sure that Pilate knew the answer. And he told him, am I a Jew? Can I answer uh, all of the questions about your law? And, and so since he was asking a direct answer, Jesus gave him a direct, or direct question, Jesus gave him a direct answer. First of all, we ask, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded by telling them that my kingdom is not of this world. This is a not of this world kingdom. If it was, Jesus said, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Now remember uh, that Simon Peter had a sword. And when they came to Jesus, he wasn't afraid to use it. Now his aim might not have been real good. We all know he wasn't aiming for Malchus's ear when he cut his ear off. He intended to split him right down the middle. You know, mal cuss. Mal on this side, cuss on that. <laughs> it was just that his aim was a little off, or mal cuss was a little quick. I'm not sure, but he cut his ear off. That's all he got. And what did Jesus do? He put his ear back on, healed him. Healed him. You would think that at that point in time, everybody there and everyone would have known that Jesus had, was doing no harm, that he was here to do good, that he was not worthy of death. But of course, what Jesus did was ignored on that night, just like what he had done was ignored on all the other nights. 
So only one person pulled out a sword to defend Jesus, and Jesus undid what he did. He tells us then that since my kingdom is not of this world, then it can't be advanced by worldly methods. It's not going to be advanced like all the other kingdoms of the world are advanced, and that's always been a temptation to us. It's always been a temptation to look at the kingdom of Christ and think that somehow we can advance it by the same methods that the world uses. Constantine perhaps was the first one to put the church and the kingdom together. We understand, you know, God is the author of government. You do understand that. The kingdoms of this world have been established by God. God is the author of government. And God is also the one who designed and established the church. But he never intended those things to be together. The government has its place and its function in society. The church has its place and its function in society, in the world. And when Constantine tried to put those two things together, he wrecked both of them. He made a terrible government and made for an awful church. It was never designed to be that way. And it's still not. Today... Uh, we are to look very carefully then tonight at this simple passage and this simple instruction. My kingdom is not of this world. And it's not then advanced like other kingdoms are advanced. Now even the disciples struggled here in recognizing that uh, his kingdom was not of the world. You see, they were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah that was going to conquer Rome and that was going to establish a Jewish uh, kingdom. After all they'd seen, the last question they asked in Acts chapter 1 was, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? They were still looking for it. Some point in time, I'm sure they were convinced that Jesus was going to use that incredible miracle working power to establish his kingdom. Much like the prophets in the Old Testament had worked miracles and advanced the kingdom. We think about Elijah on Mount Carmel calling down the fire from heaven, killing the 400 prophets of Baal. We think about Jehu then going out under the power, the message that Elijah delivered and conquering Ahab and, and destroying those evil kingdoms. Over and over again, God had worked miracles. We saw some of them even in our consideration this morning. God had worked miracles to establish his kingdom. No doubt at some point they thought Jesus would do the same. They were not really expecting Jesus to be the sacrificial servant, Jesus. The Jesus who lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, the Jesus who loved his enemies and called us to even do the same. The Jesus who would die. That's not what they were looking for. Even today, people sometimes go looking for the wrong Jesus. They want the Jesus who will make you healthier, the Jesus who will make you wealthier, the Jesus who will make you fun and, and popular and wants us all to be successful and rule over the earth. But that is not the nature of his kingdom at this time. My kingdom, he says, is not of this world. Then the second thing that we see in this passage that Jesus reveals about his kingdom is that his kingdom then is a true kingdom. Kingdom based on the truth. When Pilate asked him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born 
And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now since his followers would not resort to the methods of the world to advance his kingdom, then how would they advance his kingdom? And the answer is very clearly revealed. His kingdom would be built on and by the truth of God. We don't expect Jesus to lie about what he was or who he was when Pilate asked him that direct question. Of course not. What did he do? He told him the truth. You say, I'm a king? I am. I was born to be king. What kind of king am I? I am the king who tells the truth. And I send then my people out to tell the truth. He commissioned his disciple to go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Tell the truth. Tell people the truth about Jesus and what he is, what he's done, what he'll do for you. We live in a day when the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the truth has fallen on hard times. I don't mind telling you, I'm appalled sometimes when I go around and listen to what is passing for preaching in many pulpits these days. Uh, it's not by accident. In fact, many uh, modern so-called preachers boast about not preaching the Bible. And they'll do so by telling us that, you know, the Bible is just, is just too divisive. The Bible is just too demanding. Well, we just want to talk about Jesus. Well, that's fine, but let me tell you something. If you tell people the truth about Jesus Christ, Jesus is the most divisive figure in human history. He's always been. The truth is, is divisive. The truth is hard. Yes, the truth is sometimes painful. But let me ask you a question. When you go to a doctor, do you want him to tell you the truth about what's wrong with you? I do. Even if it's hard? Yep. Even if it's hard. Because I know that my health depends on it. Let me tell you something tonight. When you come and you sit before a pulpit like this, you need to be told the truth of God. Not my truth, not your truth, but God's truth. Why? Because your eternity depends on it. Sometimes we don't like the truth. In fact, nearly all the time we don't like the truth. But we know down deep in our hearts we've got to have it. And that is exactly what Jesus sent his disciples out to do. That is how the kingdom of Christ is advanced. We tell the truth. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul put it this way, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Uh, listen, the preaching of the gospel is mighty, mighty, mighty to save. I'm not ashamed, he would say, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Acts chapter 20 and verse 26, Paul would stand before the elders at Ephesus and say, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Preach it all. 
Don't just hit the high points. Don't just kind of touch it or handle it just a little bit. Preach it all. It's plain. It's hard. It's simple. But it's complex sometimes too. Regardless, preach the truth of God. That's our primary weapon. And that is how then the kingdom is going to be advanced. So he tells us, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of the world, then my followers would fight to advance it. But of course we don't. How then do we advance it? We advance it by doing exactly what our king did. We tell the truth. So it's a not of this world kingdom. It is a truth kingdom. And then I like to call it a loyalty to Christ kingdom. Look at verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause have I come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In John chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus put it this way. And they asked him, how long do you keep us in doubt if you're the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Oh, what great passages these are. You see, it is those people who respond to the truth of Jesus Christ. Those who put their faith in Him. Those who understand then that there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Those who realize there that they're sinners and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. All have turned aside to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. It is a people then who understand that when Jesus died on the cross, his death had my name on it. That he was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose again so that he validated that promise that whosoever believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That's the promise that God gives to all of us as his people. And we claim that promise when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved. It's those people who understand there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But the name of Jesus, his kingdom then, is built upon those who have responded to his voice and who therefore are saved by grace. John chapter 5 and verse 24, great passage, puts it this way. Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Power so that even those who are dead in their trespasses and sins can hear that glorious message of the gospel and they that hear shall live. How do we advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Will we advance the kingdom of Christ? By proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. 
What is the kingdom then established upon? It is established upon the principle of loyalty, allegiance to Christ. Those who have bowed the knee. Those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Savior. Loyalty to Christ. Lastly then, this kingdom requires the death of the king. Verse 39, if you have a custom, Pilate would say to them that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. As we go, we go on in the chapter, you'll see, if you'll go on chapter 19, you'll see then that Jesus was crucified. He's dead and buried. Every kingdom guards the life of the king. If you're in a kingdom, one of the bywords of the of the kingdom is God save the king or queen. They understand that there's no kingdom without the king. Long live the king. But in order for this kingdom to be, the king had to die. And he did. John chapter 10 again, verse 17. Therefore, Jesus said, Doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. See, this kingdom would be established by the death, but not just the death, but the resurrection of the king. So that he'd be the king who conquered death. As a result of that, the powerful promise given by the angel to Mary before he was even born, Luke chapter 1 verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Why? Because this is the king who died. And was buried but didn't say dead. But he rose again victorious over death. Of his kingdom therefore there shall be no end. We have a king that has nothing to fear from death. Amen. And you and I. <laughs> you and I have nothing to fear from death. Because death cannot separate us from our king. Death cannot isolate us from the kingdom. Death simply brings to us a new aspect and a new experience of both the king and the kingdom. I'll tell you what, the older I get, it seems like the more people I love are on the other side. You know what I'm saying tonight? Every year, more and more go on to glory. Thank God every year I'm also meeting more and more new people on this side and seeing more and more people saved and more and more people come into the kingdom. That's a wonderful thing. But it's also precious to me tonight to know that my loved ones are worshiping King Jesus on that side. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that as wonderful as our worship is here at Faith Baptist, I think their worship is a little bit better. What do you think? Huh? I may.
imagine so. We just get a glimpse of it every now and then. You know, the veil is pulled back in the Revelation. John said, I saw a throne and one was sitting on the throne. And around him was a host of people that no man could number. Singing praises to him. Honoring him. Perfect unity. Perfect harmony. No sin. No clocks. No sound systems, Brother Bill. Nothing to get in the way. Just the host of heaven. Worshiping King Jesus and waiting for all of us to get there. What a day that's going to be. Aren't you glad to be in that number? Don't you want to be, some of you may, be in that number? It's a simple thing, you see, this message about King Jesus and his kingdom. So many glorious things he revealed in this passage. My kingdom, I'm the king, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's not. I'm the kingdom, I'm the king, but my kingdom is not advanced like any other kingdom is. My kingdom is advanced by the truth. My kingdom is composed of those who have expressed ultimate loyalty to me. We bow the knee to one king, Jesus Christ. And of my kingdom, there shall be no end. It was a terrible time in the New Testament days when Nero, for example, became Caesar. When Rome burned and he blamed the Christians. And a horrible, horrible persecution broke out then against Christian people. It was a horrible thing to watch Christians, no doubt, dipped in wax and set on fire to light the gardens around Rome. It was a horrible thing to see them fight the beasts, the lions, the gladiators, and shed their blood by the thousands in the arena. On the one hand then stood all the might and majesty and power and authority, pomp and circumstance. It was Rome. On the other hand was a group of people who prayed and who spoke the truth. Who would have ever thought that the people who pray and speak the truth would topple the greatest empire in the world? But they did. Rome is gone. But the kingdom of Christ is still marching of his kingdom, there will be no end. Let's stand together.